0: Today's Wednesday, the 23rd of January, 2019. The death toll from a fuel pipeline explosion in central Mexico last week has risen to at least 94, as Petróleos Mexicanos, Pemex for short, faces one of the deadliest incidents to hit the state-run oil company in years. This all amidst gasoline shortages in the country after the president ordered fuel pipelines to be closed to deter theft. The explosion last Friday occurred as about 800 people in the Hidalgo state were collecting gasoline that was gushing from a pipeline leak near a major refinery. This according to the Reuters news service which also stated that the Hidalgo governor has stated that the final death toll from the disaster is likely to exceed 100. After a week of uncertainty, the fate of many Sears stores seems to be slightly more clear as the chairman of the company bid to take over the stores for $5.3 billion. This would include all Sears real estate as well as the brands Kenmore and Diehard. According to the Wall Street Journal, the deal will keep open about 400 stores and preserve as many as 50,000 jobs. And according to Yahoo Finance, Whole Foods is now looking at vacant Sears department stores as well as those of its subsidiary, Kmart. Reports claim that the grocer is interested in opening new stores in states that were once out of reach by operating out of the former locations of the deposed retail ruler Sears. The Sears chairman's rescue plan must still be approved by a bankruptcy judge at a hearing set for the first of next month. Last time, we introduced Ralph Moody, an American author who grew up in Colorado, but abruptly moved to Massachusetts and had difficulty acclimating to the change of pace. Such an acute change of pace, in fact, that he found himself in trouble with the city and its expectations, and went to live in rural Maine with his grandfather, as recounted in his book, The Fields of Home. Many years passed after the book ended, and not much is known about the young adult life of Ralph Moody. But in the fifth book of his autobiographical series, Saking the Nickel Bus, we again meet Ralph Moody, now as a young man, traveling west after working at a munitions plant during the war intending to go to littleton colorado where he grew up before he succumbed to a diagnosed illness diabetes ralph instead ended up in arizona as a film extra performing trick riding and other stunts for movies and it's there that the 19 year old ralph moody teamed up with the lovable but helpless lonnie Together, Lonnie and Ralph traveled the desert southwest drumming up business with bankers and businessmen by selling custom plaster busts to place in offices and businesses just making enough to scrape by the duo slowly worked their way north the next book in the series titled the dry divide recounts how ralph now penniless hopped a freight train but after being kicked off in southwest nebraska on the 4th of july 1919 he picks up a job as a field hand working under a tyrannical farm owner and through a series of events and ralph's strong leadership skills three months later he owned the farm's eight teams of horses as well as equipment and took over the farming of the land as the pair of misfits picked up at the start of the book become a first-rate harvesting crew working with ralph moody and sharing in the prosperity of proper farm methods and crew handling not only still providing for his family back east but also for the widow on the farm whose wheat crop they saved ralph moody's second to last autobiography tells the story of how frail human nature and the curse of sin ensured that the work there was never easy In his final book, Horse of a Different Color, depicts Ralph as he became a livestock owner near Cedar Bluffs, Nebraska. With the backing of the local Banker Bones Kennedy, Ralph started out trading and sipping mortgaged cattle and hogs, but soon expanded into livestock feeding, teaming up with one Bob Wilson whose flair for judging cattle was surpassed only by his talent for losing money. A March blizzard followed by a June flood nearly wiped them out as a threat of bankruptcy hung in the air. But the then 21-year-old Ralph Moody took heart from the sage advice and friendship of George Minor, a poker-faced veteran of the cattle business, and in typical Ralph Moody style, just one year later he was back on his feet as George Minor described it with heaps of kettles boiling at one time. The story closes as Ralph begins to settle and writes to a girl never before mentioned in the stories, Edna Huggins, who he knew back east and they married in 1922. Moving to Kansas City, Missouri, Ralph and Edna had three children, and Ralph began a career with the Procter & Gamble company. Soon afterward, he left Procter & Gamble and became partners with a former client, BG Foods, and moved his family to California. In the early 1970s, Edna passed away, and Ralph moved back to Massachusetts. There he lived with his younger sister Elizabeth in the town of Shirley until his death in June of 1982. With a Littleton, Colorado elementary school named after him, Ralph Moody is best remembered for his ingenuity, his resilience, and hard work ethic, and his books have been in constant publication since 1950, entertaining both young and old ever since. Although there needs to be a caution for some contextual, coarse language, Common for the settings and the situations covered in the books, the stories inspire and motivate, even teach others how to persevere in different situations, and even as times change, the values of thinking outside the box, working hard, and to never stop trying are advocated and modeled in Ralph Moody's adventurous eight-book Little Britches series. As believers in Christ and followers of the Word of God, Christians are to withstand the storms of life with joy, bear with and love the difficult people in their lives, and seek out the plan that God has for them in His will, no matter how seemingly slow or laborious that task may seem. Today's instant gratification society, however, crowds out this mindset and whispers a gospel of self and I deserve this right now, making patience look like a detriment rather than a virtue and an attribute of God. Maybe we find ourselves dancing with frustration over the time it takes for our tax refund to arrive or aggressively tailgating the car driving slightly under the limit on the freeway. We may be tapping our feet in annoyance as we wait for a download to complete on our computers or phones, or maybe we are just simply impatient waiting for a spouse, a family, our career, or just as we might say, our life to start. These are all signs of impatience, the exact opposite of what Ephesians 4 reminds us is a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Patience means long-tempered, meaning it will take a long time for the things that wear one down to burn all the way through that person's fuse. From a biblical point of view, patience can be broken down into three key aspects. First. Patience never gives up in the midst of negative or seemingly impossible conditions, even if things seem undeniably impossible. In the book of Genesis, we read of the story of Abram and Lot. Lot takes the good land and leaves Abram with the land that is not as good. But God tells Abram in Genesis 13 that he would make Abram's descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then his descendants could also be numbered. But when God promised Abraham this, he had no children. In fact, Abraham and his wife had to wait patiently, even after it probably seemed like God surely must have meant something else, because they were past their childbearing years. And we've all experienced this second-guessing moment, when we know that God has promised things to us in his word, but it now seems impossible. How could his promises come to pass, now that circumstances in life make that impossible? But in Hebrews 6 we read, "...having patiently waited, Abram obtained the promise." Romans 4 tells us that he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith giving glory to God. Abraham simply trusted in God and patiently waited for him to fulfill his promise. And he did, because God is not constrained by circumstances or what we deem to be impossible. But patience is not limited to simply waiting without complaining. Next time, we'll discuss two other ways in which patience sows itself in the Christian life.